uh, I really don't know where to start. Charles has got the long version, and then there is a, an abbreviation of the long version. And then I try to shorten the short version, and now uh, uh, I don't know what to do. Anyway, one of the things that we would say is that this text has occasioned a lot of hymnology. Um, we probably recognize that heart the herald angels sing, the third verse, uh, Charles Wesley actually cites this text. Charles, in another of his hymns, I thought of singing for you, but there was so much juice in the long version and the short version and in the shortened version of the short version, but there's a hymn that says, Christ whose glory fills the skies. It's a morning hymn. Then there's one in our book by Keeble, which is an evening hymn. And in my research, I found that a lot of people are said to use these hymns. So there's a lot of hymnology that comes out of this text. We've had two songs uh, which are associated with this text. The last one that Tim raised, I'd never heard that before. The text says, but unto you that fear or revere my name, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healings in his wings. Uh, with respect to the context, I try to shorten it in the shortened version of the shortened version by giving a list of questions. But basically, in the, the context, there are two sets of people. And as we know from our study of Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, from time immemorial, there are two sets of people. Right? There are those who follow God, there are those who don't. And this was the issue that they were facing in Malachi's time. And in Malachi uh, 3, the, the 4 and 1 is, a, is an extension of the argument that began in 217 and in 315, in which it is declared that those people who don't follow God will burn. They will not burn up. They're going to burn like in an oven. They're not going to burn up. Now, now, there's some people who will laugh and scoff at you and say, it doesn't matter, I will go to hell and I'll burn up. And I'll be the enemy. That is not true. Burn. But you're not going to burn up. Just think of burn. A bush was not consumed, but it was burning. So there's that set of people. And then there's the next set of people that he's talking about here. And those people are cited in, uh, in 360. Right? And we read of them also in 2 Timothy 2.19, right? Those people who believe in, in the Lord. can't remember that text, right? But it is 2 Timothy. Uh, that's the scripture about, and uh, the Lord knoweth those that are his. And these people are the people who are going to rise up. In. So if you would like to think of some of these questions, I'm just going to list the questions. You're not going to get the answers here. You have to get the long version. I will probably ask him. To whom is this verse originally addressed? I just, I just addressed that briefly. Not, not in the detail that is uh, required. Uh, I briefly state or ought to have been the significance of my name to the Old Testament states. And uh, what is the significance to New Testament believers? You know, we, we are told, saying, Sir uh, John 7, that the name motivated the itinerant workers. The, the name motivates people of whom uh, I'm talking about, all those missionaries in Ethnos. They are motivated by the name. That's what motivates us. We also pray in that name. 
And they pray in that name all around the world. I discovered that in 2004. I was teaching in Curacao. They speak Dutch. You know, in Barbados, we used to say, if, you, if somebody says something to you in Barbados and you don't understand what they're saying, you say, you sound like Dutch to me. But these people are actually talking Dutch. So I didn't get along much. You know, we, 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 were, we spoke in English in school. But one Sunday morning, I went with my friend from Kenya, Victor Coretti, and we went to a church service. And they were, they, they were doing a lot of praying. And the only piece of Dutch that I learned is, En Nam Bun Jesus. What is that? In Jesus' name. So wherever you are around the world, and you're going to pray, you pray, En Nam Bun Jesus. That's what the Dutch do. I don't know what they do in the other places that Larry goes. But that's, in, that's his, just briefly. I'll try to send you a long verse. Who is the son of righteousness? Well, we know that uh, from early days of Christendom, church, that we accept that the son of righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, has he risen already? That means with healing in his wings, as the son of righteousness has pointed out here, predicted. Has he stuck around? Around if he has indeed ever risen? If so, and how and why. I'm winging it now. Forgive me. I'm winging it. But if you read Second Peter 3, you'll see that the scoffers and the mockers ask, where is he? Uh, he's supposed to have come. The, uh, the argument there is, he's supposed to have come, and the idea there is, parousia, is to come and remain. So they're saying, and people do actually say he didn't come. they got people say there's no documented history that Jesus lived. they got scoffers that say that. But they say he didn't come. Paulus and remain. But we were addressing that this morning, right? We said once appeared. He appeared once to put away sin. We say he's still around. He's still around because he's appearing right now for sin. Us. Just like he appeared in Zechariah chapter 3 in the case of uh, the high priest who was slandered by the devil. Slandered. Zechariah chapter 3. That's the most exciting excited incident in Zechariah chapter 3. And he's appearing like that for us today. And we are guilty. Just like the, the high priest Joshua, the high priest was. Because we do sin. We cannot say and John makes it very clear in 1 John 1 10. If he say that you have no sins make him a liar. Because you can't say that you have no sin. You cannot say that you don't have the sin nature. And if you have the sin nature you will sin. Right? And he is a wrong. He's a wrong because he's a perfect one. one. He's a perfect one. He is a propitiation. He's a paracletos. The one who comes alongside the advocate, the lawyer, interceding for us. He's a prosagoge. I love that word from Second from Ephesians 2.18. He's the one that gives us access. Now you imagine, Brooksy, a very introverted and shy person. No. Yeah, you know, and, and, and he meets this girl, see, in his teenage, he meets a girl, and, and he wants to chat with the girl. But being introverted and shy, what is he going to do? He can't go up to the girl and chat with the girl because he's introverted and shy. As you know, you know me, you all know it. So what does he do? You find a girl from the village that goes to the same school. You get her to arrange for the girl to call you, or for you to call the girl. You know what I mean? You get a prosagoge. You get a means of access. Maybe you you, you got a business idea, and, and you to borrow money, you need to find somebody who can introduce you to a good a banker. He will be your prosagoge. Well, prosagoge was a person who introduced you to court. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is always using these Greek words and talking about things that he saw. 
which we don't understand because some of these things, we, you know, we don't do this in our lifetime. But we need it, as the brother was saying this morning, a mediator. That's the same word, same idea. A prosagoge, so a means of action, a go-between, between God and earth. Are you with me? We need to rise again, and with what? Consequence. We said what? This morning we said, once to appear, now to appear, and soon to appear. You're going to get a long version. To really get into that. Because he's appearing for those who are in one translation eagerly look for him. And the idea is like, you know, you, you, you fellow just went through this Thanksgiving thing. And you probably have people visiting. Maybe be to see for a while. So you're, you're looking forward to seeing granny. You're looking forward to seeing mother. You're eagerly awaiting. That's what he's talking about. Apart to get your mind. That is the word. Eagerly awaiting. Are you with me? And, 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 and this is what is expected of us as believers. We're supposed to be eagerly awaiting his appearance. He's coming for such people. It is assumed that all believers will be like that. Eagerly awaiting his coming. That's what we're talking about. So those people, he will arise. And we're not talking about getting up from the grave now. We're talking about arising. And then the next question is what are the wings? And that is probably where heart. I said here, in an ideal world, we will proceed in order of order one, two, three, but we will not get through the complete study, so we will start with question seven. You know, there's nothing ideal in the gospel hall. I listen every Sunday to my Sunday school teacher and pastor, former pastor, before he went to medical school, and he, he's preaching uh, four Sundays on, on John 17. I'm going to presume that you know that who the Son of Righteousness is. I'm presuming that you also, uh, I think that you're probably going to have this thing, uh, that you know about the words of Zacharias. Uh, you know, when that miracle happened to Zacharias, he started to see real quick, real clearly, and he started to speak real clearly too. He started to, to, uh, to, uh, to prophesy. And he speaks about the Lord. as the, he, he recognized that the Lord was the Son of Righteousness, and he called him the Day Star. And the days, he called the day spring. And the day spring, day star, are mentioned in other scriptures. And those are the words that are used a lot in the hymnology. The, the, the issue with Zacharias is actually my favorite miracle of all. Because it's all right to, it's all right to uh, you know, part the water in the Red Sea. That's a gross thing. That's a big thing. It, it's all right to send down fire from heaven, you know. But when you tweak, when you tweak, a, a little nerve that comes up from the brain and comes, comes down to your tongue. That is tweaking. That is miracle. That is a miracle that you have to stand in awe of. Because he can do something like that, you too. And then, the real miracle part too is when he fixes it back. That is something that don't happen. When you get something wrong with your nerves, they don't, they don't, they don't repair so like that. That is God. That is the most outstanding something um, uh, miracle in scripture. It makes you fear. That's one that frightens me. It frightens me. The thought that God could do that. So I guess when that happened to Zacharias, don't be surprised that he started to see real clearly. He spoke very clearly after that. He, he was doubting before, but when that thing happened to him, he wasn't doubting anymore. And so what happened to us. Okay. The next thing that we would have to say we might feel very sad for these people 
at the end of the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with words that I bring a curse. What a sad word. Can you imagine these folk wondering if God had forgotten three of his great promises made in the Old Testament? The promise of the seed. You come to the, you come to the end of an era. That promise has not been fulfilled. You, the Abrahamic covenant, that has not been fulfilled. The, the Davidic covenant has not been fulfilled at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, those people who believed in God, uh, they must have been in a, a, a quandary. Like many believers today, things don't seem often seem like if things are going right. Things are often sound as though God is really on the throne. So we know how they felt. But what is very exciting, and we can shout and praise God whom we fear, and the God in whose name we believe, about the first verse. This verse concerns the living word of God, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, that's who he is. The living word is the living word of God. He's the son of righteousness. And this connects the promise of the seed, all the promises of the seed given in these three major covenants. In addition, Matthew 1, 1 identifies the person who is the seed. And it tells us that we can believe God because he keeps his promises. Matthew 1, 1 says simply and very innocently, but very profoundly, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ who is the seed of the woman? Genesis 3.15. He's the son of David. That's the Davidic covenant. And he's the son of Abraham. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Three promises in one. In one verse. In that sweet. Now, if you're diabetic, please take your medicine at this time. This thing is too sweet. You will go into hyperosmolar diabetic process. And I, I am not, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I am not allowed to help you. I, I can't practice it. So uh, you will be on your own. So take your, take your tablets now, please. This is too sweet. This is sweet. Okay. One of the things that, since that come out of this uh, section, is the fact that what are these wings talking about? And how do wings heal? What is he talking about? Well, an alternative translation will help us here. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in the fringes or tassels of his garment. The Hebrew word Malachi uses in 4.2 can has two meanings and can be translated wings or fringes. Wings in this passage specifically means not the whole wing, but the fringe-like feathers or edges of a bird's wing. And we have seen them, those little things. They do fancy things with them. And we have mimicked them in airplanes sitting near the wing. They always put big fat feathers at me near the wing and you see that, that thing's sliding up and down. What's happening, what's happening up there? But they have a, they, that's what they're mimicking. Uh, we mimic a lot of things that are really found in the Word of God. There's so much science in Scripture. Mind-boggling. It is interesting that all through the Old Testament, this word can have to translate wings in the passages which refer to God. But according to Strong's, it may be translated extremity, edge, skirt, border, or corner of a garment. So, stand alone in Matthew 4.2 or in this context, you can read, For you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in the fringes of his robe. What a promise. You see why we sang this first song. This, that's what it's about. Get in there. What did these fringes represent? They represented first the word of God. You show that. Who is the word of God? The Lord Jesus Christ is the living word of God. It represents the authority of God. 
He represents authority. Jesus was authorized to do all the things that he did. And we can support this interpretation by a lot of scriptures. Uh, for instance, in Numbers 15, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, to make tassels on the corners of one's garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them, and not prostitute yourself by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands, and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord, your God. So the ancient Israeli men wore four-cornered outer tunics with tassels tied to the four corners. This outer garment became known as a tarik and eventually evolved into the more formal prayer shawl. These tassels were to remind each Jewish man of his responsibility to fulfill God's commandment. In fact, these tassels are tied into 613 knots to remind them of the 613 laws of Moses given in Leviticus, of which there are 365 thou shalt not laws and 248 thou shalt laws. The knots correspond with the name of God. Because they were hanging on the four corners of one's garment in full view of everyone, there will be a constant reminder, reminder to walk according to God's laws. The Hebrew word we translate law literally means walk. You see, following God's law is a daily walk. And to stay on this path of righteousness, we shall need constant remind, reminding. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior. Trying to follow our master and king. I don't, we, we probably don't have that. But that's in redemption songs. That was one that we used to sing, very rousing. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our path. Very sweet, 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 sweet. So wearing these tassels will be comparable to us taking a large Bible on a rope around our necks so that we can have, we can, we, well, today the boys do it with the, um, the, the fancy boys with the, with the phones. They, they got the app. So, so it's not so far-fetched, really. We have, no, we have no caught up with the tassels. We, these boys, you know, these IT boys that we have over here, they caught up with the app and their phones. But God is way ahead of us. Today, the Jews keep the law by wearing a four-cornered garment. Uh, the purpose of these fringes were to remember the word of the Lord, to proclaim the word of the Lord, to obey and live by the word of the Lord. And in time, these wings or tassels came to be associated with a person I'll see. The wings tell us then that we are to cover ourselves with the presence of God, that the word of the Lord, they speak of the word of the Lord itself, and they speak of they can speak of a person's authority. Um, we can recall the time in 1 Samuel 24 when David clipped Saul's wings. He literally clipped his wings. He cut off the skirt of his robe. He took away his authority. That's why David was upset afterwards. Because David was a very serious man, and he realized that he had erred. He had erred. He had taken away the king's authority by clipping his wings. That, that's what's happening there. Then we see wings again in Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth was instructed by Naomi to go and put herself under the wings of Boaz. She didn't lie down next to him. She didn't lie down top of him. Put herself under the wings, under the skirt of his garments. She was saying to him, I want to be under your authority. I want to be under your wings. That's what we have done. There came a time when we here today, we sought to come under the authority of the Lord, under his wings. 
Now we come to Mark. In Mark 6, 53-56, we read of the occasion when Jesus arrived at the town of Genesaret on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The men of the town recognized him and sent word out so that many people brought all the sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the fringe of his garment. The fringe of his garment is his wings. The Bible simply reports, all who touched him were healed. These people were not healed by touching the fringes of Jesus' garment, really, you know. They were healed when their faith touched the power of the living word of God. And the one who had the authority to heal, the authority to heal resided in his person. That's what they were touching. Not just the wings per se. They touched the wings for believe. Remember, you got to believe first. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. You've got to hear the word. And then you've got to believe it. That's how we got faith. Faith depends on the faithfulness of God. to use his authority to keep his word. God said, I will do this. I will do that. And you believe it. It doesn't depend on you believing per se. It depends on him keeping his word. It's being faithful to keeping his word. If you don't keep his word, it don't make sense you believing. We have to believe. Don't get me wrong. We have to believe. But it is the fact that he is faithful. 1 John 1, 9. That's so sweet. He is faithful and just. He is consistent. If you bring a boy or a girl or a man or a woman anywhere around the world to Jesus Christ and they confess their sins. God is faithful. He's consistent. And he's just. He's just. He's just. He has earned the right. He has earned the right. When God wanted to solve a problem as we see in Romans chapter 3. He wanted to remain just and still justify us. He had to find a way. There's true faith in his son. Is that right? But So the Lord had to earn that right so that we could come. Confess. So everything revolves around his faithfulness. But we must believe. Uh, we come now to the next woman. This is a woman very interesting. She had a gynecological problem and a hematological problem. Now that is nothing new. Once you got an ovary with all the different she's an ovary like an onion, Lord different. And each of them she's is produce hormones. And all of them hormones do thing. Teaching ovary sends you wacky. So if you got ovary and you're not sick, thank God. So this woman had a trouble. And the doctors they had a pickle too. They had a clue. Her illness rendered her unclean. They were not permitted to teach, to touch anybody publicly. But this one was smart. So what she did? She heard she heard that Jesus was the Messiah. And she apparently had read the word text that we used this morning. She probably had read that. She probably has seen that scroll. After all, those people were supposed to know the word. And she perceived and realized and recognized that the glorious son of righteousness that was to come with healing in his wings had risen in the very person of Jesus the Messiah that she had heard about. It's all around healing. Here is this, that person. She was able to put one and one together, and she got two. So remembering this messianic promise from the scroll of Malachi, she thought, if I am to be healed, then the healing will be found in his wings, in the tassels or the fringes of his garment. So she sought him out. And one day she heard that Jesus passing by, so she found him. And she pushed through the crowd and came up behind him, but she was not content to pat Jesus on the back. She didn't hold him around his way. She didn't pat him on his shoulder. She didn't pat him on his head. She went to his feet, to the wings. She is one of three men 
a New Testament that went to Jesus' feet. Two of them anointed it. They were given thanks as we were talking all morning. They were given thanks. This woman had a need, and she went to his feet. Uh, he used to sing a hymn, Oh, come, sinner, come. It's, there's room for all here at Jesus' feet. I don't know if you know that one, but that's a sweet one that we had in the Redemption song. Well, this woman exhibited great faith in the written word of God that she had read. And reaching out, she made sure that she touched the hem or border or the fringes of his garment. She touched his wings of his robe. You can call them what you like, wings, talents, fringes, tassels. This woman depended on the faithfulness of the Son of God to use his authority to keep the word of God. That's what we do today. Still, we are still doing that. We are depending on God, his faithfulness to use his authority to keep the word of God. He made promises, and we believe him, because from our experience, we found, we have found, that he keeps his promises. It had not yet been written down. But surely, the Spirit of God had long written in the hearts of people that faith cometh by hearing the word of God. Her faith and understanding of Malachi's property was so powerful that it even amazed the Lord. He said, Who touched me? You know, it was like when you put a paper napkin in water, it draws the liquid. When she touched the disciples said, Well, what, 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 what's the problem? You've got so much people around you, and you are saying, Who touched you? You don't expect somebody to touch you. But that was a touch of faith. That was a touch of faith. All the people around who may have rubbed up against him, they may not have been exercising faith. So no virtue went out. But this woman heard, she obeyed. So when she touched, it is in this way that the first coming of Christ was like a sunrise. And the promise of Isaiah 9-2 and Luke 1, 76-79 was definitely fulfilled. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawn. And we can thank God, we were doing that all morning. We were thanking God for his unspeakable gift as taught in first, first Corinthians 9. That's what we were thanking him for. We were thanking him for a mediator. We thank him for the one who fed the people at, at, at the, with the bread and fish, which is a picture of his feeding us. Feeding for sustenance is a part of healing. This woman gave his word. So as we come to this time of the year, and as we anticipate the mini-series to follow beginning next week. We will hear more about the first advent of the Lord and how this, his coming was a precursor, a preparation for all those who seek the benefit by believing his written word and thereby getting to know him the living word of God and seeking to come and abide under the of his authority. We answer those questions for this. Right? We want to understand, here's a point we want to understand is the three tenses of the Son of Righteousness. We know the three tenses of salvation. We will see it in First Peter. We will see it in Ephesians. We will see it in First John. And we had it this morning in three appearances of Christ in Hebrews 9. He's our Savior. He's our intercessor. He's our King. That being the case, we used to say, when, when we were children, Barbados means story, we used to say, you step on the wire, and the wire won't bend. That's the way my story is. So I have been nice, and I have not given you the long version or the short version. And uh, 
David came up and promised him to uphold me and pray for me. And at the break, Larry was lamenting that he knew I had information. So I surprised, I surprised him. And, uh, and I thank uh, David for praying. And I thank Erston. She is my daughter. Now, when you preach, I mean, you always tell the boys, no, you look at me. I will nod for you. See? So once you see me nodding, you know that you're saying the right thing. If you see me shake my head, you better get up there fast, 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 because you say the wrong thing. So when I come here to speak, I like, I like to watch her. See, she, she, why you take a look at her there? You take a look at David. I look at her because she nods for me. She's my daughter. And uh, Tuggles has departed from a friend. He was the man that I would, you know, bounce things off. Uh, it could be fun. It didn't, it didn't work out too bad, despite the ethnos, <laughs> the ethnos uh, intervention. Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God by which we learn about the Savior. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to interpret the scripture correctly. We thank you for time and the wisdom that we can have to rightly divide the word of truth. We thank you for the saints who can encourage us. This is, these things are what we call fellowship. We have all these things in common. That is fellowship. And we thank you for this. Thank you for all that we heard this morning. Thank you for each one here. We thank you for the fellowship. We pray these things. Amen.